Good morning. Wow, great to see so many of you here today. I was kind of wondering, you know, if you're all gone camping again and be gone and doing the last minute summer stuff. But man, it's so great to see so many of you here. Isn't our band awesome? Like, what they did today was great. <laughs> uh, the talent, uh, did you see? I don't know if you noticed, I look at these kind of things, but there were multiple band members playing multiple things. Did you notice that? <laughs> It was pretty cool. So we definitely are blessed here at The Journey to have such a crew there. And they do it all for the Lord, of course, but it's, it's okay to give them kudos once in a while, right? Because of our hard work. Uh, just a follow-up on Nick's reminder about holidays. Uh, that is an event where we're really just trying to get out in the community as the Juni Church and uh, just really want to uh, let everybody... Hi, guys. How are you? And we just want everybody to know... Um, you know, that where we're at and what we're here for, we just really want to make sure we can help them to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to grow in Jesus, and that's really what we're here for. And so uh, we do need volunteers for that. Uh, it'll be uh, fun. You get to hang out with me. Maybe that's not so much fun, but you'll get to, you get to hang out and uh, just be there. Tam and I are going to serve hot dogs. We're going to get involved with the, the, the community, uh, the village, actually, that puts it on. We're going to help them for an hour or so, hour and a half. But then we also need some people to man our stations. So hopefully you'll sign up to do that. As you notice, we're in a new series, uh, Growing Up. And uh, it's going to be some fun. I uh, hope you catch the, the concept of it. hope you get, uh, uh, hear the Lord speaking to you through the whole time. And um, yeah. So let me ask you a question. When you were younger, did you ever have anyone say to you, I wish you would grow up? Well, let's skip the younger part. Have, as an adult, have you had anybody ever say to you, I wish you would grow up? Probably. Maybe. Yeah, probably. So what are they really saying when people say, I wish you'd grow up? What they're really saying to you and me is that, I wish you'd mature. I wish you would grow up. I, I wish you would act more mature. That's what they're asking us or wishing, that's what they're hoping. Do you ever wonder if God walks amongst his people and says that very same thing? You know, I wish you guys would just grow up. You know, I wish you would mature. I bet he does. I bet he even says, man, you guys today, you're just acting like a fifth grader. I bet he does that. Uh, maybe not in those terms, but in God's plan, he definitely wants us to grow. Um, so in this series, we're going to see what the Bible says about growing up, you know, and some of the things we're going to look at. Uh, I'm going to challenge you with some questions like I do every week, but over the series, we're going to look at some things. Are we even expected to grow? Is there a, does God have some kind of expectation for us as believers that we should grow? Uh, what happens if we don't grow up? There's a good one, right? Um, we're also going to look at, is there a goal? You know, is our eyes to be set on a goal as we grow? Is there an example? Um, and are there benefits to growing up uh, as we walk through this life? And so I'm going to pray with you right now and pray that our ears are open and our eyes are ready to see the kingdom and uh, see what he has for us, okay? So let's pray together, and then we'll move through what he has. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. 
Thank you that uh, you have given us uh, a direction. Thank you for your word that is clearly tells us, Lord, you want us to grow. Uh, Lord, may we um, just follow you today. May we hear you today. Um, Lord, this, we know, and you know, this world can be a challenge, and it's a, it can be rough living here, but you have a purpose for each and every single one of us as we make our journey through this life. So, Lord, help us understand what that is today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, is there a Christian maybe that you know or someone you look up to that you would consider to be fully ground? In other words, when you look at that person, you go, man, there is a mature Christian. I want to be like that. Uh, If there ever was a Christian out there that uh, we could look to, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? If you've been around your Bible a little bit, you know that Paul is, uh, he met Jesus on the road one day and changed his entire life. Uh, But then he went on to do many things. He went on and preached the gospel into all the surrounding areas and out into the world. But then Paul's also responsible for about 50% of our New Testament. And so if you were to ever look at a guy and say, this guy's got it all going on. He is a mature Christian. He is all grown up. It would be easy to look at him and say that. But um, let's see what he says about himself. Uh, If you have your Bibles today, uh, go to Philippians uh, chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse, starting in verse 12. This is what Paul says about himself. He says this. Now that I've all, I have already attained, not that I have already attained, not that I have already attained or am ready perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as uh, as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. As advanced as Paul was in his Christian walk, He has to say that he has not yet arrived. He's not been perfected or made complete. So he pressed on. He continued on. He recognized that with salvation comes an expectation of growth. Paul just didn't say, all right, I met Jesus on the road. Whew, I'm on my way to heaven. That's it for me. I'll just wait for that day to come. No, Paul knew there was an expectation to grow. Growing up is a process, and it's a continuous one. I hope you guys understand and realize that today. As uh, children of God, we're expected to grow our entire life uh, while we're here on this planet. Um, The perfection that Paul is speaking about is uh, interesting. It's to be Christ-like. That's the goal. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but the Bible says one day... On the day of his revealing, we should be like him. We will be like him. 
Uh, we're not going to look like him, because that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Like we'd all be a bunch of Jesuses in heaven. You know, we all probably have this idea of what Jesus looks like, but no matter what our view of that would be, it'd be kind of weird if we all looked the same, looked like him. That's not what he's talking about. It's to look like him morally. That's where we're going to end up. One day when Jesus comes to get us and, and takes us into eternity, we are going to be like him. But until that day, we're expected to grow. We're expected to grow up and mature. Um, Paul said he didn't expect or didn't um, understand that he was even there yet. And like I said earlier, if anybody could say that, it would be Paul. He acknowledged he was not fully grown. And yet, uh, he said this was to be the mindset of every single child of God. This is to be our mindset that we know we haven't uh, arrived yet. We're not there yet. Uh, we know that we've got more to go. So we need to grow continually. Uh, when you think about it, uh, when you think about Jesus for a moment, um, was there an expectation that Jesus was to grow? I kind of thought about this this week and just really thought about Jesus, you know. Uh, or was he already fully grown? I mean, he was God, we know that. He was God's own son. But did he kind of like come out of the box, ready to go? Or did he have to grow a little bit? And so, uh, like Paul, you're going to find out here in Luke chapter 2 that even Jesus grew. And uh, that was, it's pretty... Um, Pretty awesome when you think about it that even though Jesus was God, he was man, but yet God took him through this process of growing and maturing. So when Jesus was 12, if you know this story out of Luke 2, his family went to Jerusalem to the Passover, right? And they were going there to celebrate probably tons of people there. They would caravan probably from Nazareth, you know, and get into Jerusalem and have the Passover. And the scriptures say that um, when it was all over and they were on their way home, Jesus lagged behind. Uh, man, what 12-year-old doesn't lag behind on certain days, right? And so Jesus, just like any other 12-year-old, kind of lags behind. So the weird part about it, it took his parents a whole day to figure out that he was gone. <laughs> You know, what kind of parents are you? This is a CPS call if I've ever heard of one, right? <laughs> so, so he's like not there. Takes them a full day to realize it. So they got to go the day's journey backwards. And it, the scriptures say three days later they finally catch up with Jesus. And where do they find him? They find him in the synagogue, and he's amongst the teachers and the leaders, and he's sitting in the middle of them and learning, it says. He's listening, but he's also teaching at the same time as 12 years old, and it even says they're amazed. So we'll catch up with that story in verse 47 of Luke chapter 2. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Um, you ever lose your kid? This is 
what's going on right here. I don't know, even if it's just in a store or in the mall or in a large crowd, if you've ever lost your child, you're pretty anxious. So I don't know if the word anxious really here covers it, but this was uh, Mary and Joseph. They were anxiously trying to find him, and now that they've found him, they give him a little scolding. And he says to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Um, at first glance, it's easy to summarize, um, you know, Jesus sitting in the synagogue there just like kind of blowing everybody's mind, right, with everything he knows. Obviously, there was some of that going on. But I don't think Jesus was totally, you know, had everything. He was, in fact, if Jesus was to tell us everything about himself in one sitting, our minds would be blown and we'd probably just die on the spot. But Jesus is really just there, really listening, and actually at the same time teaching, but we see that he was also growing. And we know this by verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, favor with God and with men. So Jesus was growing in wisdom. So mentally, Jesus was growing. Jesus grew in stature. At, he was growing up. He was getting taller. Jesus grew in favor with God. And that's the spiritual side of who Jesus is. He was growing. And he also grew in favor with man, social. And then, um, have you ever thought about this, that Jesus needed to grow up? He did. He was growing. So who are we then to think that we don't need to grow up? We see Paul, right? We, we took his example. He knew he needed to grow. But we even see the scriptural um, uh, need for Jesus to grow up. Pretty interesting. So we are expected to grow just like Jesus grew. But one minor issue. Jesus was full of the Spirit. Now, you and me are spiritually bankrupt. We're spiritually dead when we are born. Jesus was God, but as much man as he was God, and God as he was man, but at the same time, he was full of the Spirit. A little bit of an advantage on you and me. Um, so, before we can even start growing, we need to be born again. Born all brand new, all over again. Uh, this is a, a starting point for every single Christian, no matter how old you are physically. We must be born again. I know what you're thinking. How can a man be born again when he is old? Great question. It's the same exact question that a Pharisee named Nicodemus had. Um, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the teacher of all things about the kingdom of God, right? And you would think they would know this thing. Uh, but the Apostle John records uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night and asking this very question. He says in John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice Nicodemus there acknowledges that Jesus had come from God. Any true miracle is divine, 
meaning it comes from God. It's something that man cannot do. And Nicodemus recognized all the teachings. He recognized all the healings that Jesus was doing, that he had to come from God. But he didn't yet understand that he was Messiah. Why was he having trouble seeing Jesus for who he really was? Because Nicodemus, like all of us, was spiritually dead. He was born blind. He just couldn't see it yet. John 3.3 goes on and says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks of the second birth uh, being born again. But look at what Nicodemus says. And he, he asks the same question that so many of us do. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand is that physical birth is not enough. Just being born into this world is not enough to see the kingdom of God. Spiritual birth is also required to see the kingdom. So how is a person reborn? Uh, Paul says it a little different way in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 17, or verse 17. He says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, we are born again, brand new. Receiving the free gift of salvation through um, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is how we become new creations. It's not by coming to church, obviously, and just hanging out with some cool people or, or signing up to help down at holidays or maybe even volunteering to greet at the door. That's not what it's about. There's more. We must be born again. Our spirits must be brought back to life from the dead. So, no one here probably remembers the day that you were born physically. Um, if you do, I wonder how you do it, because I don't remember the day I was born physically. But some of us here do remember the day that we were born again spiritually. Maybe you can. Uh, nevertheless, in both cases, just like a, a newborn baby has to learn to walk, if you came to Christ at 30 year old, as a 30-year-old, you have to learn to walk all over again. It's pretty crazy, and it's pretty interesting to think of it that. It's part of growing up. So just like babies' first steps, right, we as Christians have to take our first steps. Uh, we've all seen the, the baby take his first steps in one way or another, right? We see the, you probably have this vision in your head of a, a parent on one end of the room holding the wobbly baby and the you know, they can't quite walk yet, and then there's the parent on the other side of the room and with open arms and wanting the baby to get to the other side, right? And finally, the parent with the wobbly baby takes that baby and says, okay, here we go, and they go, boom, boom, right on their face, right in front of them, and never even make it to the other side of the room. But that's often the way we are as Christians. If, if we don't take our first steps and start to start to grow, We'll never even hit the floor for the first time. We'll never know what it's like to fail and to get back up and try again. So just like babies, we have to take those first steps. 
So what does our first steps look like? People often say that uh, babies don't come with an instruction booklet. You know, you probably said that in your own, own, own house as your kids are getting older. Or maybe your newborns hit the house, you just don't even know what to do. Especially that first one, right? You don't even know what to do with that one. But uh, there's a funny acronym that's hanged around church world for, forever, and it's you know, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Information Before Leaving Earth, right? I believe that all babies come with an instruction booklet. Uh, and not only can we go to the Word of God and know how to raise our physical babies, but we, we know how to grow spiritually because of this book, right? We know that there, everything in this book is um, here for our spiritual growth. So let's go to Proverbs um, 3, fairly familiar verse if you've been uh, in your Bible for a while. Starting in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So, first step, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And this isn't talking about the day that you ask him to come into your life and to be your savior. That isn't that. Although, if you haven't done that, we need to do that to start our spiritual walk. But this is once we have come to Christ and we know him as savior, we need to learn how to walk all over again. And the first step is trust in him. Just like a baby's first step, trusting in the Lord can be very difficult at first, right? However, like a wobbly baby, we got to take that very first step. Even if we fall. Um, newborn babies just don't quit, do they? They get back up and they try again. And so God wants us to trust him and get up and take that first step. He wants us to trust him in everything. Um, he wants us to trust him with our spouses, with our kids, our I always say spouses and houses. I like that because it reminds me of he wants me to trust him with every single thing. Every decision, every time we go out into the public, he wants us to trust him with it all. So, struggling with your marriage? Trust him with it. Give it to him. Uh, not sure to do it, what to do with your kids? Trust him with them. Give them to him. Got house problems, you got money problems, you got job problems, whatever it is. Trust him with it and give it to him. Uh, um, better yet, trust him before you have problems. Um, little words of wisdom there. But so many of us refuse to trust God with these things it's in, um, as if he's unable to handle it. Think about that. That's why if we're not willing to trust God... That means that we can do a better job. The definition of trust is re reliance on and confidence in a person. That's kind of like the dictionary um, definition. Uh, scripture, though, affirms total trustworthiness of God. As you read through your Bible, you can see that God makes promises. He's come through on everyone uh, that he has made, and he even has some promises for us in the future that we can trust and that we can rely on, that we can know. So with that said, why are we so reluctant to trust him with everything else? You know, trusting him with our families and our circumstances and, oh man, I was 
Tamla and I were just talking this morning about how the Lord's worked in our, our lives and how amazing he has um, come through and he's made promises and, and he's made them come true. Even then, we didn't even really know what was going on. We just trusted him. Uh, we failed a few times at trusting him, tried to take matters into our own hands, but at the same time, the things he did, uh, we did put in his hands. We just waited on him and he came through. So Christian faith essentially is trust in the person and the character of God and who he is. And that's great for us to say that. But there's action required in trust. Not just lip service to God and say, yeah, Lord, I trust you. Or when we're in the community and say, oh, yeah, I trust in the Lord. But at the same time, when we are out um, in our everyday action in the world, our workplace, our school, or wherever that may be, do we really? Have we put every single thing into his hands? Uh, imagine a baby refusing to take their first step. <laughs> it would really stunt their growing up, wouldn't it? Uh, it's like they'd never, if they couldn't walk, then they, they can't learn how to get around, and then they probably wouldn't even be able to do a lot of things that you would do in life. But when you and I don't trust the Lord with our lives with everything there, it's the same thing. It stunts our spiritual growth when we're unwilling to give things to him, to trust him with it. It delays our spiritual growth. The next step is to trust him with all of our heart. Now, um, you may have taken your first step. You may have trusted the Lord at one time or another with this one thing but you're not quite ready to give him everything yet. Just not there yet. Not trusting God with every single thing we have is stunting our growth. He can't continue to grow us if we're not willing to trust him with everything. Um, we took our first step. We saw he's faithful. Those are, that's the exciting part about walking with, with the Lord. We've probably all done this. We trusted him, and it was exciting. It's like a baby's first step. And then we kind of, okay, the excitement fades off. Then the next time we need to trust him with something, we kind of don't really do it. We just really kind of say, you know what, Lord, I, I, can, I can get this. You forget the excitement, what it means to walk with the Lord and trust him and allow him to uh, work in your life and what it means to walk with him side by side and have that excitement. Um, if our, all of our heart is not willing to trust him, then that, what that really means is that part of our heart is somewhere else. In, in reality, that's what that means. If, yeah, I trust God with this thing, but then all of a sudden that must mean that part of my heart is somewhere else. Maybe that trust is in man. Uh, Jeremiah 17.5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Uh, this may be a person of influence, this may be a spouse, or even trusting in yourself. The Bible says that it, uh, there's a curse on our lives when we do that, meaning every, all blessedness can come from trusting in the Lord. Anything less than giving him everything has a, has a curse upon it. 
Either way, trusting in person instead of God means that our heart is divided. It's, it's in another spot. Or how about riches? That's a good one for us here in the U.S. of A. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to, to enjoy. Um, it's amazing how much we really do trust in riches to bring us happiness, to uh, how much we trust in uh, riches to bring hope or to solve problems in our lives, you know. Uh, we just throw money at stuff in hope that somehow uh, it'll bring us hope and joy. Paul says we're not to trust in those uncertainty uh, of those riches, but are to commit ourselves fully, our hearts fully, uh, to the living God. Uh, riches are given for enjoyment, so I don't want to mess with your head too much there. Um, but they are given, but they are, they are not to steal part of your heart away. You see the difference. God gives us things for enjoyment, to, for his purposes. They're there for that. But they're not to grab a part of your heart and take them uh, some other place away from the living God. And they can do that. Um, there are all kinds of things that compete uh, for that other portion of our heart. Once we come to know the Lord, once we come to trust Him as Savior, we begin to put a little bit of trust in Him, but then there's just all this other competition uh, there to steal a portion of our heart. But like the newborn baby taking his first uh, steps, we are showing steps of growth when we trust in the Lord and when we trust in the Lord with all our heart. The, the next part of the wisdom of that proverb says, lean not on your own understanding. Uh, a great thing about the Bible is that it records the past. It has history in it. And I hope you read your Bible, especially the Old Testament. A great deal of that is history. Uh, and you can read how mankind interacted and, and uh, went through life uh, and interacted with God or didn't. It tells the good things about mankind. It also tells how uh, they obeyed. It also tells how they didn't obey. They didn't listen. Um, so we should be able to learn from both of those. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the book of Exodus for a little bit. Uh, it, remember how God delivered um, his people out of the hands of Pharaoh? Well, God did this by many signs and wonders. First of all, there were like ten warnings sent to Pharaoh. Remember those? Uh, they were plagues sent out in order to warn Pharaoh uh, to, that he needed to repent and to turn to the living God, but also they were there to let his people go. Uh, Israel was in bondage uh, into Egypt at that time, and God said it was time to let the people go. And so Pharaoh didn't do that. God sent everyone of them as an opportunity for Pharaoh to turn, and he didn't. So God tells his people to get ready. We're, we're, I'm going to bust you out of here. He says, he finally announces that 10th plague. And if you remember that, what that 10th plague was, that 10th plague was a plague of the death to the firstborn. So every firstborn in the uh, nation of Egypt was going to die on a certain night. 
Uh, he was going to send the death angel into Egypt, and that was going to happen. But God didn't um, leave people without a chance for that not to happen. He actually uh, told um, the people that, especially Israel, um, in order for this not to happen to your child, you needed to kill a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, and then take us in short. There was a big meal and all the other things. That's what we have the Passover meal around now. But for the most part, they were to sprinkle blood or spread blood on the doorposts, the newel posts around their door. And when the death angel would come sweep it in to get that uh, firstborn, uh, he would pass over that house. He would see it as a sign of putting their faith and their trust in God for his provision um, for the Passover. So it's interesting um, how that all went. Everything happened that night just as God said, and anyone that did not have the blood sprinkled over their doorpost lost a child that day, their firstborn. Um, soon after, Pharaoh calls for Moses, and if you know this story, he says, we need to get him out of here. This is, this is it, I can't take this anymore. Moses, um, he calls Moses to him. Pharaoh releases the people. He says, get your people out of here. Hurry up and get them out. So Moses does that. Gathers the people quickly. They just grab their stuff and on they go. They're out. But it doesn't take long until Pharaoh is convinced that this was a bad idea. I just let all my slaves go. What am I doing? So he calls for his army to go after them and to find them and to bring them back. And what we find and we read that Exodus story is that the, uh, the Israelites are almost trapped it seems like because they, they get them into this narrow area where there's only water ahead and Pharaoh behind with his army. So what looks to be a hopeless cause and we know how this goes, um, God parts the sea, right? And, he, and people go through on dry land. And it's pretty amazing, actually. But then, when they get on the other side, we know, God does another miracle. He allows the waters to return to their normal level and drowns the uh, pursuing army of Pharaoh and, and wipes them all out. And so then we know that from that point on, Israel goes on into the wilderness. But... You would think that after that, all that miracle of releasing millions of people into the wilderness and getting them out from underneath Pharaoh, there would never be a time again in Israel's history that they would have a problem trusting God. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, if you stood there and watched a sea part, you walk across the, all your animals, your goods, your kids, and everybody gets on the other side safely, then watch them crush Pharaoh's army, we go, okay, man, that's the, the one and only true living God. I'm going to trust him the, all my days. Well, then there's Numbers 13. Let's start there. Numbers 13, 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send men every one a leader among them. See how God's giving them the land? 
Remember, this was a promise. We talked about God's promises and that he can be counted faithful for all of them. So God's saying, I'm going to give this land to them. And this, is, this should be like this awesome celebration. It should be everybody shouting, we're finally getting to the promised land. So he first sends 12 men into the land for 40 days. And now listen to the report that they have. Pick up in verse 26. He says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. If, you, if you've read this story before, they were bringing all kinds of fruit back, literal fruit. In fact, there was one, I think it was grapes that they had bring back. It was so big and so heavy of the fruit of the vine that it took two men on a stick to carry the vine. That's how uh, much fruit was in the land. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. More, moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. After this report comes back, we, we read that Caleb um, re, <laughs> reports and he quiets the crowd down and Ten of the guys, ten of the twelve, give this horrible report back to the people. But the men who had gone up in verse 31 said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our sight, our own sight. And so we were in their sight. It's sad. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were unable to convince the ten, nor the rest of the crowd. The rest of the crowd listened to the ten, with their report that this was too big, there's no way we can go in there, even though God had promised um, that this, he was going to give them the land. They didn't trust the Lord. They, didn't, they, they looked at things in their own perspective. They saw things the way they saw them. So unfortunately, bringing a 40-year wilderness wandering into their lives. This is where the Israelites ended up. In fact, God, if you know the story... God waits till the very last one that was there that day and waits for that person, all of them, to die. All those that were in the, of adulthood that were there that day that said, no, I don't trust you. He allowed them to wander for 40 years and eventually die. The people were unwilling to trust the Lord and take that next step. So what happened? They leaned on their own understanding. They saw things as only humans can see them. Um, the, the land of milk and honey, what that really means is prosperity and abundance. They knew what that meant. And that was the report that came back from Joshua and Caleb. That's what, that's what they saw. And even some of the other spies actually communicated, yeah, that's there. Prosperity and abundance is ahead. But there are giants in our way, and we're but grasshoppers. They 
totally could not understand and trust God, put their complete understanding in God. Instead, they leaned on their own understanding. Their understanding was they only saw giants and defeat. The next step uh, in Proverbs, it says, to acknowledge him. So if you didn't think things could get any worse for the Israelites, it actually does. You would think that being cast into a 40-year curse is enough. Well, it wasn't. Look what they do next. Numbers 14, starting verse 39, it says, Then Moses told these words to all the children, and all the people mourned greatly. He gave the death sentence. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we'll go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses says, Now why do you transgress the Lord's, the commandment of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. The people of Israel made the grave mistake of not consulting in the Lord. They took matters into their own hands, and they were defeated that day because of it. They did not acknowledge him. They did not seek his will. They did not pray. They did not acknowledge him in any way whatsoever. So remember um, Proverbs, what it says, uh, chapter 3, um, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean not on your own understanding, and he will direct your paths. This is a classic picture of the God wanting to direct their paths. Um, but they didn't allow it because they didn't trust him. And that's what God is saying to you and me today. He's, if you'll trust me, <laughs> And don't lean on your understanding. Those things that are impossible, allow me to work in them. Allow me to direct your paths. Um, so how could God ever trust them or us if, or, you know, by directing their paths, how could that ever happen if we're not willing to trust him? He won't. Um, it's easy for you and I to read the history of the Israelites, right, and say, ah, what a bunch of dummies. Uh, man, I can't believe those guys didn't trust him after that dividing of the, the Red Sea and all that miracles that they saw. Um, maybe this morning God's saying something to you. Maybe he's asking you to take the next step in your growth. Uh, first, by trusting him with your own heart. All your heart, not just part of it. Maybe he's, not, um, he's asking you not to lean on your own understanding. I know... Um, He's done many great things in my life. It's, a, it's pretty amazing. But it should be, once we take those steps and we see him in it, that we quit leaning on our own understanding. And that the next time he's asking us to trust him, it should get easier. Just like a baby walking. Once the baby realizes he can take that first step and second step and third step, the baby wants to walk all the more, right? Then you're taking everything off the shelves and the counters and everything else at home, right? That's, is that us? Is that what we are doing? Are we trusting him, taking those steps and not leaning on our own understanding? Are we acknowledging him in all of our ways? That means all of our ways. Not just in the big things. You know how we'll all go to the Lord and pray when things are rough? You know, I don't think any of us really have a problem going to him in those 
those avenues, those things. But are we acknowledging him in all our ways? I used to have a friend, and I challenged them on this a couple of times, but he said he used to get up every morning, and when he would leave the house, uh, when the days he did leave the house, that we'd get to the end of the driveway, and he would literally say, left or right. And he would ask the Lord. And he would spend some time there uh, with the Lord. And I don't know how that works, and I don't know how it was, but that is a really good picture of how we're supposed to launch off into the world each and every day. Are we saying, I'm meeting someone for coffee today, Lord. What, what am I supposed to say? I got this thing going on at work today, uh, and it's going to be a challenge. What am I supposed to do? Are we acknowledging him? And then when he says something to us, are we going to lean on our understanding of that situation or are we going to trust him uh, and really have him tell us what to do? The promise is that he will direct your path, not just in the big things, but everything in between. So as we kind of wrap it up today, just like Paul and just like the Israelites, we are expected to grow. Question, do you feel like you're growing? Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you're growing in the Lord? Maybe, maybe not. What is it that you feel God is asking you to trust him in? I almost guarantee you everybody in this room has got something the Lord is asking you to trust him in because that's how it works. He trusts me. You take that first step. It, this may be your hundredth step. But what is it that he is asking you to trust him in this morning? Not with part of your heart, not half do it, but literally step out, do this thing, trust him. Is your limited understanding of the situation keeping you from trusting him? That's what really happens to most of us, right? We only see so much. God sees everything. God knows everything. Is he asking you to step out? And is this hindering your growth? By leaning on your own understanding. Uh, how could leaning on his understanding uh, allow you to grow? Ask yourself, if I took this step today, this week, this month, how, how is that going to make me grow? Look at yourself in that next stage of growth. Um, are you acknowledging him in all your ways? Every single one of them. Or just the big ones, like we said. Well, his promise today is that he will direct um, your paths. So today we're going to do communion together. And we're going to acknowledge the Lord. We're going to look at what he has done. One of the things that gets me every single time that we take this, we can review what the Lord has done. Let this not be a religious event for you today. Let this be an acknowledgement of what he has done. That his body was broken, that his blood was shed so that we may have eternal life. Uh, but before I do, I'd like you to read, read from the Gospel of Mark um, for a second because Mark records that Last Supper. It was actually the First Supper, <laughs> but the First Last Supper. But uh, he records a little bit about having his 12 disciples and those around him. They were seated, um, having a meal together, and Jesus reveals to them 
that one of the 12 was going to betray him. Uh, Mark 14, 21 says this, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. So in other words, Jesus knows, he'd been telling everybody that he was going to die for the sins of the world. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. So we know that this is Judas now. We know that history has played out. Judas was the betrayer. Judas never trusted God. He never trusted him at all. He leaned on his own understanding. He only saw Jesus as a man. He saw him just as a human being. uh, And he saw a way uh, for Jesus just to get him some silver. And Jesus was unable to save Judas that night. In fact, the scriptures say that Judas uh, had remorse after the event, after he betrayed Jesus, but he went out and hung himself. But Judas was unable to be saved that day because he did never put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, the question, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you asked for forgiveness of sin? Have you turned to him as Lord and Savior? Have you repented from those sins and now walking with him in newness of life? I pray that you have, and if you haven't, uh, I suggest that as we take communion together today, uh, that you do that, you take care of that. If you need help with that, I am more than happy to point you to Jesus and help you with that. But at this time, I'm going to ask you to Get up out of your seats and go get the elements. Bring them back to your seat. And then we will take together uh, communion with each other. So why don't we take a few moments, grab your elements, take them back to your seat. Use this time to pray. And then we'll, we'll take the elements together.